Superpowers on the Superpower Up podcast, the show that lifts the voice of love from orgasms to superpowers and everything in between. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sex, Love, and Superpowers podcast show. I am your loving host, Tatiana Berenday, and I'm really excited to welcome back a repeat guest, Dr. Allison Ash. If you have not listened to the show that she and I did on navigating the world of polyamorous dating, please do so. Whether you're polyamorous or not, this is a really phenomenal interview that she and I did, and you can learn more about her background um, as a sex and intimacy coach and the founder of TurnOn.Love. And so we're not going to dive into her superpowers and everything since we already covered that. We're just going to jump right into a really juicy conversation about jealousy, love, and relationships Um, because there is so much to talk about when it comes to jealousy in our love and relationships. So I just want to say welcome again. Thank you so much for coming back to the show, Dr. Ash. Thanks for having me. It's such a pleasure to get to chat with you. Absolutely. So, okay, so let's just dive right into this conversation about jealousy. And, and first of all, like, I mean, we kind of know what jealousy is, but why does it exist in your understanding and your, your study of human relationships? And what do we do with it? Yeah, great question. Jealousy is a threat response. It's your system sending up an alarm. And whether or not monogamy is natural or whether or not human beings are always going to be jealous, regardless whether or not we're in a monogamous or non-monogamous paradigm, it's just important to realize that it's a very natural emotion and experience. And that when we think about how important our connections are to us, when we think about wanting to protect the people and the relationships that we love. And when we think about how adverse we are to pain, there, it makes sense that your body would be afraid if you think that there is a threat to a important relationship that you have. And this is exasperated by living in a monogamous society that says that people are supposed to feel jealous and that you know that somebody loves you if they feel jealous. And we can see this on pretty much every romantic comedy that has ever existed. Mm -hmm. And so we've actually kind of culturally made jealousy a integral part of any successful air quotes, successful relationship (laughs) (laughs) because that's what we've seen. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's so, I love that you bring that up. That wasn't even in my, you know, when I was writing up sort of what I wanted to talk about, I wasn't even thinking about that, but yeah, of course, like we are fed that. And there is sort of this storyline that if your partner isn't jealous, then there's something wrong with the relationship. That's right. Or he or she or they don't actually love you or whatever else the story or the meaning making might be from that experience because it's so unusual. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, I love that you're that you're talking about jealousy also as a physiological experience. Yes. Can you say a little bit more about that? Definitely. When you think about the feeling of jealousy, like if you can even just close your eyes and imagine the last time you felt intensely jealous And if you really immerse yourself in that memory, you're going to start to notice that your body is responding to that memory in a very real physiological way. When I'm feeling jealous, and of course, each body responds slightly differently. When I'm feeling jealous, my stomach starts to cramp. I feel a little nauseous. My chest gets a little tight. Sometimes I'll get a lump in my throat. My hands will start to sweat. My mouth will get really dry. My thoughts start to race. All of these are examples of what your body does when it starts to go into a flight-fight response mode, mm-hmm. which is what happens when your nervous system is experiencing more stress or stimulus than it can, than it can process right? Or that there is enough fear in the system that it can't regulate and it pops out into a fight-fight response. And so your body is responding um, as if there is real danger on this physiological level. And I think that it's important to note without going into a huge detour that our attachment styles are going to impact our experiences of jealousy. 
So attachment theory states that um, essentially how we're parented prenatally in our first few years of life determines our attachment style. And of course, I think that when you dive deeper in attachment theory, you can see that we can have a learned attachment style, that our attachment behavior is relative to the partners that we're with. So this is a, a big conversation, but I just want to note for those of you that are familiar with your attachment style, that um, if, you, if you are not feeling really secure in your relationship, if you don't have a secure connection with your partner, then it's going to be more likely that you're going to feel jealousy and experience jealousy uh, because you don't have that stable foundation and sense of security and belief system that relationships uh, can be stable. And so I just say that because if when we talk about jealousy, it's really important to note that jealousy is a package. And what I mean by that is that there are often other emotions that are related to jealousy. Maybe it's anger, grief, insecurity, fear, um, there's a host of other emotions that can come with jealousy and a bunch of other issues that could be related to jealousy. Um, and so it's really important to kind of look at the big picture mm -hmm. and, and to figure out if you want to diffuse jealousy, we have to really understand it as a system and your level of security in your relationship is one facet of that system. Which is fundamentally sourced by your level of security with yourself. Well, I would say that it comes from our, our ex really fundamental experiences that we can trust that we can be loved and nurtured and have autonomy. Mm -hmm. And so it comes from, <clears throat> comes from having access to both. And so some people, when they're in relationships and it gets really juicy, they fear a loss of their autonomy and they start to pull away and retract because they feel more safety and security when they know that they can ground themselves. And some people, when they're in relationships and it feels really good and yummy, they start to feel anxious that they're going to lose the relationship and they start to lean in and cling a little bit. And, but both are an effort to navigate the intensity and the fear around are these relationships going to last and so one of the things that i say uh, that i really advocate for is to make any non-monogamous relationship work i think you need three things a mentor who's done it before community support and friends and a coach or a therapist and the reason why i include coach or therapist is because there's nothing like navigating non-monogamy to bring up a lot, all these core wounds all these attachment issues and we want to have the help of a professional to guide us through this experience because that's one of the gifts of non-monogamy is that it offers a structure for self-growth an opportunity for self-growth but we need to be able to have the support to to do that effectively and gracefully Totally. Yeah. Well, I think the same actually could be said for any relationship, even a monogamous relationship as well. If we're really in it, it's going to bring up our stuff. You know, I think that's, that's sort of the beauty and the, the potency of relating to other humans. If we're, if we're going to tend to that consciously and really use it as a growth opportunity and a growth journey, it's yeah, it's going to kick up our stuff. Yes, there's no doubt about that. I think that the difference that I see is that in monogamous partnerships, I've seen a lot of couples make their worlds really small and constricted so they can avoid, to the mm -hmm. best of their ability, ever feeling jealousy. Mm -hmm. And that's one tactic that people can take. Um, and it's not necessarily one that somebody can take if they're committed to exploring non-monogamy. So then what? If you can't just simply do your best to avoid jealousy, how do you deal with it when it comes up? Yeah. That's, I think, a really awesome question that we are going to dive into when we get back from the break. Um, will you tell everyone where they can go to find out more about you and your work before we go to break? Sure can. Check out my website, turnon.love at www.turnon.love. Awesome. So we're talking with Dr. Allison Ash about jealousy, love, and relationships what do you do with jealousy when it happens? We're going to talk about that when we get back, so stay tuned. 
Are you here to change the world? Do you talk about things like vibration, frequency, awakening, and consciousness? Are you pretty sure you have superpowers? The Superpower Net is unlike normal coaching programs and conscious communities. We provide training, intuitive guidance, peer-to-peer -peer learning, intensive one-on-one -on -one coaching, and a high vibrational network of people just like you. When you join the Net, you get 24-7 access to a collaborative group of people who support you as you master your personal power and unlock your superpowers. If you're ready to use your superpowers to change the world, then join the Superpower Net today. Visit superpowerexperts.com slash the net to learn more. Okay, we're back. All right, Dr. Ash, what do we do? What do we do when we feel jealousy, especially in the context of um, exploring non-monogamy? Because because that's that's real, especially if we're culturally sort of indoctrinated for monogamy, mm -hmm. and then we decide that we're going to explore non-monogamy. I mean, that's that's going to come up. Mm -hmm. It sure is, and I think that it's just important to normalize that most people feel jealousy. That your jealousy may never fully go away. It will certainly not go away overnight. And that you could still experience and feel jealousy and be a compassionate, generous, uh, uh, considerate lover and still feel compersion. And let me just define compersion for those of you who don't know it. Yeah, I don't know what that word means. I think that in some ways, compersion has been falsely sold as the antidote to jealousy. And we define compersion as the capacity to feel pleasure in your partner's pleasure. So in this context... Um, if you and I are partners and you're dating Alex and I, and you're really excited about dating Alex and I can take joy in your excitement for your relationship with Alex, that's compersion. And it might even go a level deeper. Maybe it's like, I know how incredible and amazing you are and I want the world to get to experience how incredible you are. And so I'm going to also take pleasure in Alex's pleasure of getting to partner with you. And so that's another level of compersion that you can feel. And so some people believe that if you can't feel compersion, that somehow you're not evolved enough or that you can't have experiences of both compersion and jealousy. And I just don't think that that's true. There are times that I can feel deep compersion. There are times that I can feel deep jealousy for the same people in similar situations. And in fact, I can feel jealousy and compersion at the same time because a part of me might be wounded and scared and a part of me might feel expansive and generous and so I just kind of wanted to to highlight that because I think that to expect that you can get to a place where you're only going to feel compersion is an unfair and unrealistic goal so you know I love I love talking with you because because you're very much you know coming from this non-monogamy space and I'm very much coming from having been married for 10 years and and I can still translate and relate what you're talking about into my experience of monogamy and working with clients who are exploring monogamous relationships. Um, because I think that those, those same elements, whether my partner is actually going out and having sex with someone else or just exploring friendships or things that he loves that I don't, um, I think that everything that you just said is can absolutely apply to that as well. So I just want to put that out there for anyone who might be listening who is like, well, I want to know what to do with jealousy, but I'm not polyamorous. You know, um, this, this absolutely applies. Over it sure there. does. It yeah. really does. And I also love using the term compersion uh, to refer to getting pleasure from my partner's pleasure in a literal way. So if I'm, for example, giving oral sex to a lover or partner, it's much more like I'm in a giving than a receiving role. Mm -hmm. But I can feel an immense sense of pleasure from that act of giving. And I think that that's also compersion. And so, you know, one of the things I really love about exploring non-monogamy is that it has us question some basic assumptions and it invites us to learn some relational skills mm -hmm. and I think that questioning those assumptions and learning those skills is going to benefit every relationship regardless of the structure mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely um so so we've laid out you've laid out how you know you can have and thank you for this new word compersion I love it I love that the word per is in there 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so you've laid out that you can, you can feel jealous and I mean, I feel like it's safe to say like, that doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you a bad partner. It doesn't mean you're broken. It doesn't mean you can't do this relationship thing, whether it's a monogamous one or a non-monogamous one. It means that you're feeling a very natural feeling. And then, so then what, what do you do with that? Right. Right. So the first thing is don't be afraid of it. Accept your jealousy and also accept your partner's jealousy. Because we can make all this story and meaning making around it, but the first thing is just to accept, hey, I'm feeling jealous, and that this is a normal experience. So mm-hmm. start to unpack some of the shame that we can feel around being jealous, mm-hmm. because that's the second layer of pain of the experience. So take a deep breath, acknowledge that this is a normal experience, and then try and identify from the beginning before, I think that, you know, let me back up a step and say, that when you're currently experiencing jealousy, the best thing that you can do is engage in self-care and wait till your nervous system starts to regulate again mm-hmm. because it's not the time to process your jealousy mm-hmm. because when you are dysregulated, meaning that your system is activated, you're in a flight-fight response, the part of your brain, the frontal cortex, that's responsible for advanced logic and reasoning and communication skills and empathy gets bypassed. Mm -hmm. And so whenever you're processing anything emotionally heavy, uh, whether it's repair work or jealousy, I always encourage folks to self-care or to co-regulate with a friend or a lover and get their system uh, to a place where they can handle that kind of conversation. So if you're actively feeling jealousy, get some physical activity, go for a hot, uh, take a hot bath or shower, make some art, listen to music, cook some food, pray or do rituals or gratitudes, punch a pilling, punching bag, whatever it is, it's going to regulate your nervous system. Okay. So that's the first thing is what do you do when you're actively jealous? Well, you take care of yourself. But then the other conversation is what can you do on a more meta scale to manage experiences of jealousy when you're not currently triggered? It. And I think that that's important that we're dealing with jealousy when we're not in a fit of jealousy. Yeah, I love that you're making that distinction. And I really just I want to like, I want to pause and emphasize the importance of what you just said. Because I mean, you, you said it so matter of factly, like, yes, of course, this is what you do. And yet this is this is what I'm working with most of my clients on is like, how do you actually identify that you're having a physical experience that, that is also emotional and what do you do with the body and with your feelings in that, in that moment? Um, and so I just like, she just gave a whole list of amazing things that you can do. And it's by no means an exhaustive list and everyone has to find what, what is the thing that works for them. But that is like, that, that is the adult and mature thing to do when we have these really intense emotional states come up is that we don't dump them or throw them on someone else on our partner Yes, oftentimes our partners are there to support us in processing challenging things. And you want to put strain on a relationship, you make your partner your therapist. Like that's That's not what they're there for. To learn how to navigate these kinds of things on our own is such a hugely valuable skill. And so I just wanted to like really hammer that in and emphasize that to the listeners here. Like that cannot the value of that cannot be underestimated in my opinion. And the outcome is so much more improved because if you, if you're in a jealousy fit, it's going to be very hard to access vulnerability. And that's actually evolutionary logically. It makes logical sense, right? Because if you're feeling unsafe, whether that's emotionally or physically, making yourself vulnerable is not a logical response, right? But it's that vulnerability that can result in the empathy and care and affection that you really need and want. So if you can wait till you can express yourself with greater vulnerability and own your challenges, 
your partner is going to be able to show up in the way that you actually want them to show up versus if you're angry and dumping and blaming and finger pointing, they're much more likely to get defensive. And then you two are going to be fighting on top of you feeling jealous, which is just going to exasperate your, 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 your upset. Yes. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that. How, how do you then go from, okay, I've settled down my nervous system and then. Okay. So I, I, even to just back up a step, what I would say is I think what could be really useful is to start to identify the different situations and behaviors that can trigger your jealousy. So the Mm -hmm. first thing that I would have you do is take out a piece of paper and just start making a laundry list of all the things that can trigger you. And if you go to my website, there's a tab for resources and there's a handout with a checklist for people who are exploring non-monogamy. And you could use this checklist to help you think of the kinds of situations that are possible so you can figure out what is going to be more activating for you and what is feels easier for you. It's important to note that jealousy is often a surprise. So things that you think are going to cause you to feel jealousy might not, and things that you would never anticipate feeling causing you to feel jealous, jealousy might impact you. And so this is... Can you give us some examples of like what you've seen? Yeah, totally. I have a good friend of mine. She and her partner have been doing non-monogamy for a decade. They are really comfortable in it. They have their lovers and partners over to their home. They'll sleep with them in their shared bed. I mean, they're just really comfortable and don't experience a lot of jealousy anymore, 10 years later. And um, one day she was coming home and she saw her metamore. Your metamore is a lover partner of your lover and partner. So she saw her husband's partner wearing her bathrobe. And for some reason, this really triggered her. They had just had sex in their bed. No problem. But her and her bathrobe, problem. (laughs) <laughs> right and, and and they never could have anticipated something like that because it wasn't on their radar mm-hmm. and so it's just important to notice that these things might creep up on you but what we're going to do with this exercise is do your best attempt to understand what are the things that cause you to feel jealous because they're going to be different for every person and also to think about how these things might feel different for different people Maybe your partner doing something with a man will feel different than with a woman or doing it with somebody that you know could feel different than somebody you don't know. Or um, maybe if, they're, if their partner is also in a relationship, that might feel different than if their new partner is single. And mm-hmm. so considering the different conditions that can exasperate your feelings of jealousy. And then what you do with that laundry list is you don't freak out. <laughs> you breathe and realize that you don't have to deal with it all at once. And instead, what I want you to do is organize your triggers in, in five categories or in a scale, ranking from a mild trigger to a more intense trigger. And then what I want you to do is start to look at each of these triggers and think about why this thing would cause you to feel jealous. And in that, explore the other feelings that you can imagine that you would feel in this in this situation. So sadness, grief, loneliness, loss, insecurity, competitiveness, anxiety, fear, anger, betrayal, guilt, shame. And so that you can start to think about this experience in a way that will make it so that you can articulate it to your partner and situate it in a broader context. Now, some relationships are set up such that you can create agreements, um, and those agreements can help you navigate this jealousy in a titrated way, meaning that if you have a kind of partnership, a primary partnership or some kind of partnership where you two are creating agreements that are gonna dictate what you're allowed to do or how you're gonna explore your non-monogamy, What I would suggest doing is that you pick things that are on the bottom end of your scale, things that would cause a mild trigger, and that you explore those things first so that you can expand your capacity to be with discomfort, that you can gain faith that your relationship can handle these experiences of non-monogamy, and so that you can practice being with and expressing your jealousy and getting support and supporting your partners 
in a way that is um, taking it piece by piece by piece so that you're not going too much too fast and having an experience that's incredibly activating and triggering without the support and previous experiences to back you up in that exploration. Um, so there's a question that's come up for me in this, and, and, I, and I love that, that you really recommend starting with the easy stuff because I think that's true. Again, working with the nervous system, we want to titrate that. We don't want to overwhelm ourselves and dive in too deeply. Um, but something that I have seen come up, especially when, when people are um, navigating relationships and coming at them from more of like a, like a spiritual work place, um, is this the concept of boundaries. Um, what's your, and, and I, I am a big fan of, of having boundaries and like being willing to stand for them and, and ask for what you need and, and not have them be crossed um, in the context of relationship. I also think that there is, there is room and space once we establish our boundaries to sort of, you know, push past them and beyond them a little bit. Um, but I'm curious what your, um, what your experiences are, or how you work with, with boundaries and jealousy and sort of the interplay between the two. Great question. And I think it's important to differentiate between boundaries and agreements. So our boundaries are dictated by our capacity. So when we are within our capacity, we can show up as present and compassionate and creative and attentive. And when we're past our capacity, we're going to show up as frustrated, irritable, disconnected, impatient, right? And so even if we're talking about something unrelated to non-monogamy, let's say that I had um, X capacity to listen to somebody vent. And if I'm within my capacity, I can show up in a resourced way. And if I'm past my capacity, then I'm going to be irritable and not very helpful. Mm -hmm. And my capacity, of course, for anything is going to be fluid and depend upon how much I've slept, if I just had a vacation, if I'm feeling sick, and other life factors. Mm -hmm. Okay, It is absolutely essential that we start to be able to identify our capacity and it's very loving to express our boundaries because it ensures that we can continue to relate with people in the way that we want to relate with them, which is mm -hmm. loving and with presence. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's an understanding about boundaries. Now, agreements are what we come up with to try and create more safety and security in a relationship. And in part, our boundaries are going to inform the agreements that we want to make. Agreements are different from rules. Rules are kind of a facet of the monogamous paradigm. And the main rule of monogamy is don't, don't cheat. with anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> and we know that it's a rule because the punishment for cheating society, that society dictates is breaking up. And we know this because if you've ever stayed with your partner after they cheated on you, you're going to get all this grief from your friends that you stayed with them. Right. So... The problem with having a rule-based system is that people want to avoid punishment, and so it actually incentivizes a lack of honesty because we don't mm -hmm. want to get in trouble. Mm -hmm. yeah. Agreements, on the other hand, are a living entity that is our best attempt to look at the Venn diagram of our shared yeses. What works for you? What works for me? Let's meet there. Yeah. And what's great about agreements is that because they're living, it means that they're modifiable. So if we're discovering that an agreement is no longer working for us, we can change the agreement. And one of my dear friends once said, whenever you think you have incompatible needs, it's often a crisis of imagination. Mm -hmm. And I love the way that agreements can encourage us to think creatively about what we can do to create safety and security that then allows us to have this sense of freedom and autonomy and exploration. Mm -hmm. So it's a one thing to say, but it's important to note that not all relationship structures are going to allow for um, these kinds of agreements. I think last time we met, we spoke about relationship anarchy, for example, and there will maybe be less agreements if you have that kind of relationship structure. So then to go back to your question about boundaries, I think each individual 
has to decide what are their boundaries and then look at does each relationship structure support me in being able to remain within my capacity? Does it support whatever my individual boundaries are? And we have to realize that not every relationship is compatible. So if I have a boundary that the other person is going to feel oppressed by, then we need to either think about are there compromises that can be made? Are there creative agreements and solutions? Or are you incompatible? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also really important to name that like sometimes we aren't aware of our boundaries until we're up against them. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I think that's, that's why I wanted to introduce this, this into the conversation, because I think it can, you know, when, when we're, especially when we're on, a, you know, more like a personal spiritual growth journey, we can, there can be a tendency to want to push past what's an actual boundary for us in the name of growing. Mm-hmm. When, when really that does a huge disservice to everyone in the situation because we're not being honest and authentic with ourselves. We're not being real with what's true for us. And it can, and, and there's a real bypass that can occur there. That's right. And then what happens is, I, you know, I tell this story in a lot of the workshops I teach of, um, you know, I had been exploring non-monogamy for a long time, but I had been doing it mostly solo poly, meaning not in a primary partnership. And the first time I had a pri- I think that doing non-monogamy is very different when you're madly in love because <laughs> there's nothing like that experience of being madly in love to activate your fear of loss, especially mm-hmm. in a long time since you've had that feeling. And um, my partner was on his first date with someone else and I was freaking out from the beginning but I was the one with more experience I thought that I should be able to handle this side note did not have enough community didn't have a coach or a therapist wasn't really well resourced had never attended a non-monogamy workshop I was kind of winging it but I wanted to be a good partner I wanted to be generous I wanted to show him that I knew what I was doing and so I endured And they were out to dinner and I was watching the clock like a hawk and doing my best to distract myself and just kept saying like, Oh, give it 20 more minutes. So give it 20 more minutes. And, um, and an hour became an hour and a half became two hours. And I am telling you, like I was in full activation mode, flight, fight response, but I convinced myself to go take a really long shower. And surely by the time I get out of the shower, he will have called or texted. And I took, you know, this is pre-drought days. I took an immensely long shower. I got out and he still hadn't called or texted. So what do I do? I call him and I scream at him. How could you not call me, text me, blah, 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 blah. Because I was just way past my capacity. Mm-hmm. I really endured far more than I could have, should have, uh, needed to. It would have been so much more effective for both of us if I had just texted an hour and a half earlier and said, I'm really struggling right now. Is there any way that you could give me a call from the bathroom when you have a break? Or something to that effect. And, and been vulnerable and said, like, hey, I'm needing a little bit of support here. It would have been a much easier way for him to actually show up and offer support. What happened because I didn't do that is that he and I both got a little traumatized around our explorations because I was afraid that anytime he went on a date, it would be that miserable. And he was afraid anytime he would go on a date, I would be that furious. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we really need to titrate our explorations where, when we have a primary partnership and go back to 1950s style of dating and take things slowly so that we don't have this trauma response that we then associate with any explorations of non-monogamy. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. I th- I think there's so much to be learned from just story. You know, we can talk theory, but then when you you put it into a real experience, it's like, hey, this is what happened, and this is what we could have done differently. Mm-hmm. So, so you're an advocate then for because you know there was earlier on in the conversation, it's like, don't, don't come at it when you're in this super triggered space. And yet what you're saying from that story is like, it would have been, it would have gone better if when you started to feel the trigger, you reached out for support. Great clarification. I think that there's a difference between trying to process the jealousy 
and get creative around agreements and figure out what you could or should have done. All of that like high level logical thinking feels different to me than saying, I'm feeling jealousy right now and this is what I need. And actually this is the next step that I would offer in what to do when you when we're exploring how to navigate jealousy is to come up with a script for what you need to hear when you're feeling jealousy. I often talk to my clients about coming up with their own user manual that they're then going to share with their lovers and partners. Mm-hmm. And so this is a part of your own user manual. Maybe it's, I love you, I'm not leaving you. Or maybe what you need to hear is, I value you and the unique role you and our relationship play in my life. Or maybe you need to hear, I want to be with you long term and your jealousy isn't going to change any of that. Mm-hmm. And that's why understanding some of the other emotions that come with your experiences of jealousy can be really helpful because then you can really think about what is it that you need to hear that's going to set your own unique set of triggers at ease. So for me, it's a lot around abandonment. I get afraid that I'm going to be replaced. So for me, maybe a statement that my partner or lover would know would be useful is you are irreplaceable. And I am committed to our relationship, even as we're exploring others. Mm-hmm. And so that you can share this with your lovers and partners when you're not in a jealousy fit, when you are capable of, pro- of, of processing it at a higher level. And then when you are in a jealousy fit, you're just going to be able to say, hey, I'm experiencing some jealousy right now. Can we just cuddle and not talk if that's available? Or can you tell me that you love me and you're not going to leave me? Or I just actually needed to hear your voice and know that you would respond to my text. And then the idea is, is that as we start to have support around these experiences and gain our capacity and resiliency to be with these experiences, we will need less of that support less often. Um, And so that we're kind of front loading our care in the beginning by taking things slowly, by being really supportive, by making space for our jealousy and our partner's jealousy so that we can work through it and gain more stability and security that will then allow us to have increasingly more freedom and explorations. So um, I I love this and it's so evolved. Um, It's such an evolved way to be. Um, and not everyone is operating in that way. And, and, and there, so let's talk about manipulation for a minute. And when it comes to, to jealousy and, um, what you have seen, um, in terms of using jealousy as a manipulative tactic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that, the way that I see that coming up the most is somebody says, um, these are the things that make me feel jealous. I don't want to do them yet, but I'm going to work on it so that we can do it. And then they don't work on whatever they need to work on so that they can loosen the restrictions and explore more. It's totally fine to say, these are my boundaries. These are the restrictions. I don't want to go past here. And then you and your partner get to decide, does that work for the two of you? But to say that you're committed to some kind of growth or change and not be engaged in the process is problematic, right? And so I think, oops, pardon me one second. Sorry, a bit of a technical difficulty there with you. Yep. Yeah, you're here. Okay. Um, so I think that it's important that if we say that we're exploring non-monogamy, that we start to actively uh, engage with a coach, a therapist, somebody that's going to, to help us. Um, yeah. And then the other thing is, um, is to, to realize that... Ooh, got a little distracted there. Sorry. Do you have a cat or something? Apologies. <laughs> That's okay. Um, you know, so there's a trade-off here. There's a trade-off between creating agreements that are going to make us feel safer and being committed to doing our work that is going to expand our capacity to modify those agreements to allow for more freedom. Yeah. So I think being aware that that you're 
what you're doing together, where you're wanting to move towards, and that you're actively engaged in the work that's going to allow you that forward momentum. And if you reach a point where you realize, hey, babe, I thought that we could have sex with other people. I'm realizing that it is incredibly upsetting for me. It's bringing up all these old wounds. Uh, I still want to be able to do that someday, but I'm starting to be afraid that I might not get there. And I just needed to name that. Mm -hmm. That's a much more authentic, vulnerable way of handling that situation rather than saying, not yet, not yet, not yet, soon, 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 which might be your hope, but doesn't actually reflect your reality. Yeah. Yeah. And that takes a lot of self-awareness. It takes a lot of willingness to be honest with what's really actually true for you. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. right. And to be able to, to, to hold that, um, that not every relationship is compatible and not every style of non-monogamy is compatible. And we want to think about what are the compromises that we're able and willing to make and what are the boundaries that would feel like a violation if yeah. we, if we were to continue to compromise them. Yeah. And that I just, I just keep coming back to this like brutal honesty with oneself. Mm -hmm. Like, like that's real folks. When, when tackling these topics, you cannot lie to yourself and do this successfully. You just can't. Right. And when, and that's why having a mentor and a coach and a therapist is so crucial because yeah. we don't see these things. We right. need a mirror to reflect back so that we can start to see some of our patterns and habits and ways of thinking and the various meaning making that we have uh, created from our experiences throughout our life. Yeah, totally. Um, okay. So we've, we've, I, I feel like we've done a really, really good um, journey around how to deal with our own jealousy. What about when your partner's jealous? Yeah, great, great question. So I think that when your partner is feeling jealous, if they're in a jealousy fit, the best thing to do is to focus on resourcing. So um, see if you can offer touch. Touch can be one of the most regulating things. Now your partner might not be in a place to receive it, but if they are, that can be really useful. Focus on breathing together, making eye contact. Um, if they need space, give them space. Um, en encourage them to engage in, in care, whatever that might look like. And that might be self-care or that might be doing things together that's going to be supportive. But what I would say that's important is to think about what you can do to help mitigate your partner's jealousy when they're not feeling jealous. Mm -hmm. And so understanding what, their, um, what the spectrum of their jealousy triggers looks like can be really important because then you can take more care with the things that you know are more likely to cause jealousy. Um, and, uh, and to make sure that you know what your partner's love languages are. So um, if you're not familiar with the five love languages, I will just have to say that the author is, um, has supported gay conversion camps, so I can't wholeheart wholeheartedly support purchasing his book. Oh, wow. But his concept around the five love languages is really beautiful. And you could take a free quiz online to understand what your love languages are. Um, and essentially, there's five ways that we can give and receive love. Um, pardon me, that we most can, can most feel loved in these acts, meaning we probably enjoy all of them, but certain ones have us really feel loved. And the five love languages are words of affirmation, physical touch, acts of service, like maybe planning a trip, fixing something that's broken, cooking a meal, gift giving, and quality time. And if you know what your lovers and partners' top love languages are, it's really useful because then you know how to communicate with them in the way that they're most going to feel loved. So uh, if acts of service is their number one love language and they're in a jealousy fit, maybe as you're cuddling them, you notice that you're giving them a massage as well, right? Or if quality time is their love language, how can you plan like a very Special, and this is also acts of service, date where you're doing the kinds of things where you feel like you're fully in your presence with one another and that it's just the two of you and the whole world falls away. 
right? Um, and so really thinking about what can you do to improve your capacity to have your lover or partner feel loved in the ways that they're most going to understand it? Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, that's huge for any relationship. Any relationship. Again, these skills are transferable. Yeah. I would say that if your lover or partner is feeling jealous, try not to take sides, uh, especially um, – uh, try to avoid being a mediator between your lovers. So if you and I are in a relationship and you're partnered with Alex and I'm feeling jealous and blaming Alex, what I would not advocate for is that you become the middleman between my conflict with Alex. Hmm. Um, and so in that, what I really encourage is that metamors, in this case, me and Alex meet and, and whether or not Alex and I want to develop a, lasting or deep friendship i think that if we can know each other we can communicate our respect for one another we can create a same team mentality then if something is upsetting me i can go and talk to alex rather than having you be the mediator which is going to put all sorts of conflict and tension on our relationship with each other mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's a messy triangle right there messy messy triangle um, if your partner is feeling jealous, avoid criticizing. Definitely don't shame them. Remember the naturalness of jealousy. Um, and I would say don't, what, what I would not advocate for is that you start to craft agreements or modify agreements when anybody is in an experience of feeling jealousy. Because oftentimes what I've seen happen is let's say that you're feeling really jealous and I maybe feel guilty that you're feeling jealous because I don't want you to feel hurt or because I'm still used to monogamy and it's hard for me to accept that I'm not doing anything wrong. Mm -hmm. And so you're feeling jealous. And then what I do is I say, oh, 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 I don't want you to feel jealous. Let's not, I won't do this anymore. I'll, I'll never do that again. And I start making these concessions that actually are not things I'm comfortable giving away or letting go of forever. Yeah. And I start to agree to things that aren't actually going to work for me because I don't want you to feel jealous. Mm -hmm. And so I think that when somebody's feeling jealous, what we want to do is attend to those needs for connection and regulation and focus on the processing of it and thinking about, do we need to modify our agreements when everybody is feeling resourced and, and calm and regulated? Yeah, this is so beautiful. I really, um, I really want to just honor, honor the the beauty of this process and how powerful it is. I mean, it's it's very simple but hugely profound. And like I said earlier, like a really evolved way to do things. Um, to be able to slow everything down long enough to really inquire, like, what's actually going on with my partner, and maybe if I don't just react but ask myself like what do they need in this moment ask them what they need in this moment invite a slowing down process mm -hmm. to happen so that we can all take a breath and really you know check in what's needed here and that's that's like it's so fundamental and so freaking powerful yeah and i always encourage my clients to see the wounded little child in their lover and partner. Yeah. Because there is in all of us a, you know, the wounding from our childhood. It's actually imprinted on our nervous system. Yeah. And so when someone is feeling jealous or angry or sad or any of those emotions, try and see the part of them that's really hurting and really scared. And it might be hard if their response, their protective strategy is to get really big and not be vulnerable, it's going to require, it's going to require a lot of you to see past that defense mechanism to the part of them that's really hurting and really afraid. But I can guarantee that if you can touch into and relate to that, it's going to be easier to be with them in their upset. And you're going to be able to offer a greater sense of empathy and patience because we all know what it's like to be hurt and to be afraid. And it takes us out of our defensiveness and puts us into our compassion. Yeah. And again, like that's a lot when you're being attacked, you know, if someone's in a trigger response and they're coming at you, which can occur with jealousy, right? That it, it can be like you shared in the story with your, with your partner, you know, 
there was like a lot of fury coming out. It can, we, it can, we will have our own triggers when our partner is experiencing jealousy that we have to deescalate, you know, and there, I mean, there's, there's so much to this. And, and again, um, you know, Dr. Ash's emphasis on having support through this process, I think it cannot be underestimated because this, like this stuff is real folks. It's real and it's not easy, but it yeah. does get easier. Yeah. And the last thing that I, I really want to say is that if your partner's experiencing jealousy and they're really activated and they're attacking you or you feel attacked and you can't access this level of compa- compassion or empathy or patience, it's best to leave. Mm-hmm. Because if your partner is so activated that they can't detangle themselves from that situation and they're going to attack, 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 and then you're going to start attack, 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 or shut down and disappear, then it's actually a really compassionate thing to do is to say, we're escalating right now and I don't know how to de-escalate. And in any other way than taking a break. And when you take a break, say, let's check back in, in half an hour, an hour, two hours, whatever it is. And when you check back in, you can still say, I need more time. But that knowing that you're going to check back in in a certain time can make it feel less like abandonment and more like a break, which is actually what you need. You don't need, I'm gone, I'm out of here, I'm done. You need, whoa, this is really intense. Let's both take a walk around the block individually or together and then try and talk about it again. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, this was you offered so much in this conversation. I just want to say thank you again for for coming on the show um, before we sign off. Is there, is there anything else that you want to want to leave our listeners with? Well, I think that there are a bunch of really great resources out there. There are tons of good books. Um, if you go to my website under the resources tab, there's a list of good uh, resources out there. And I would say just to continue to educate yourself and to remember that this is a lifelong process. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is a journey and it does get easier with practice, like she said. Mm-hmm. So thank you again so much. It's always a delight having you. And to our listeners, Thank you so much. If you have not yet joined us in the Superpowers Our Real group on Facebook, please do so. Um, we rolled out some really exciting new programs. You can check them out at the superpowerexperts.com slash programs page on the website. Um, and until next time, go out and love yourself so that you can love the world more deeply. Many, many blessings. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today.